Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Apocalypse Part 2. How's that? Right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, that is where we are in all of this, right? I mean... Well, um, the good news is, is that uh, contrary to the movies, we have yet to have a complete and utter breakdown of all authority <laughs> figures, uh, the military turn into a bunch of psychotic uh, loonies who basically want to grab every woman they can find for, instead of for their breeding harem, and the undead have yet to rise from the grave. But it is early days. Did you see, and I don't know uh, where I saw that there was a, there was a uh, an article about... Uh, is, was it a prince, a king? Who who was it? He's he's taken over the a full floor on a hotel with his harem full of twenty women. Oh, India. India was it? India? I don't know. It's, I'm not sure. I'm okay. <laughs> like okay. Um. That's a little bit different social distancing than what I had in mind, but um, I guess if that works for you, so... I sure, know. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I... Um, <clears throat> Before we go very further... I don't know about that. <laughs> let's introduce ourselves. My name is Jason Hunt. And I'm Timothy Harvey. And this is the H2O Podcast. Tonight, we are going to give you our pandemic playlists... And I, uh, I was reading in, in my continuing education efforts today, like I do, I was reading an article that said that some people, when they were listening to podcasts, they give you 15 minutes before they decide whether or not they're actually going to still listen and continue listening. And some people go five minutes before they decide whether or not they're hooked and and stuff so i figured okay we're we're now three and a half minutes in let's at least tell people what we're going to talk about today before we start digressing all over the place and uh hopefully <laughs> hopefully we'll get a little bit better uh better uh uh playback numbers there too robert and thomas in the chat welcome robert have you found all of your socks yet uh he did tell us the other day that his marvel socks have arrived i believe uh or maybe the dc um no okay so the dc ones yes the dc ones have disappeared the marvel ones are finally there but uh not dc so um Hopefully they will arrive. Hopefully they will arrive. So, and that's that's very unusual for a superhero stuff order to disappear like that. But um, stranger things have happened. Man, I had a package go go missing, and it's somewhere stuck in a U.S. post office 
recovery center in Atlanta. So um, I don't I don't anticipate that I will ever get it back. So speaking of superhero stuff, let's show people this discount code. You get 10% off when you use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 when you check out with your order. And hopefully your order will ship and it will arrive and it will be intact and the box won't be damaged and you'll have all of the stuff that you ordered and you can save money on 10% off. And also, if you want to support us financially, we do have a Subscribestar account. We also have a PayPal tip jar. Uh, and the link is in the show notes. And that takes care of all of our busy business. Have we, have we survived the apocalypse so far, Tim? So far, uh, of course, you know, this has been the, as all of this is going on and ramping up and, and we're dealing with social distancing and all these sort of things. This is the period, of course, when I've been moving. Sure. So, um, and thank you again for helping out with that. Yeah. Uh, we have now reached the point where tomorrow I drop off the keys to the old apartment. Uh, and, you know, I've been sleeping in the new place and gradually this is the new place for, for anyone who is watching this as opposed to listening to it as a podcast. Um, this is not a very exciting view, but uh, this view over here is all boxes and crap, so we're not going to show that. Um, and uh, if you watch, you will also get the uh, addition of the cat from time to time. What we ought to do. And I did not think about this, but what we should do is take some of the boxes that you have and swap mm -hmm. swap them out with some superhero stuff boxes. <laughs> so we could just have a sponsor wall right behind you. There right? we go. Yes. By the way, if you do if you do want a sponsor of the show, there are opportunities available. So yes, yes. Right. So it was a. Uh, um I work from home, and so we, we telecommute as it is, and so we talk to each other on, on Skype and Zoom all the time, talk to our, a lot of our clients on Zoom, so this is all very much uh, this whole new world that we're dealing with right now is something that my, I've been dealing with for the last year, and the first few months was very odd for me because mm -hmm. I had never worked from home before on a regular basis. Right. And so consequently, uh, Maya just, I, I understand why people are going through this, like, what am I going to do? This is so weird because I was there, right? I lived through that in, in the first part of 2019. Um, but we're, we're used to seeing our staff's kids and pets and things come through. Um, there was an article in the New York Times, which was completely, you, you understood this very much. Like this, this made sense on a completely technical level. You know, if you're, if you have to work from home, you want to put forth for, professional view right? right so so it's like we don't want to see your kids we don't want to see your pets <clears throat> and the thing that just made gave me hope for humanity this tiny little in this was the the blowback they got on that with going no i want to see your kids i want to see your kids because you know what my kids are right here <laughs> yeah. i want to see your pets because my dog is right next to me and my dog is making me feel you know, is is making me feel loved right now, or my cat is cuddling in my lap. Or, you know, so it's like it's like in the midst of all of this, really. No. <laughs> I mean, if this, you know, in, in the outside outside the situation we're in right now, I completely agree. That's that's our own guidelines. Is you know, keep the cat out of the picture, keep the dog, keep the kid. You know, this is stuff you you know when you're talking to a client. But now it's like. No, no, our clients, our client's child is two feet away. So if yours wanders into frame, it's okay. <laughs> it's it's funny that uh, that you mentioned that because um, I was talking to 
Sonia the other day, and she she had sent me because she's a teacher, mm-hmm. and so is now having to do all of the teacherly stuff online and through through their their various different uh, platforms and whatnot, and that includes. The, the the teacher conferences so all of all of the teachers get together to discuss what's going on and and she's like is this a thing i i I don't know i don't know which one is best the teacher conferences at work or the teacher conferences at home because the teacher conferences at home online there are pets (laughs) and she's not a big fan of pets but you just gotta have to everybody's gotta adjust everybody's gotta learn to to live with it so uh there is a warning you have to put out here though folks um it turns out that there is a way for someone using zoom for like a large meeting of people to actually see if people are actually paying attention because (laughs) there's a setting if you happen to be the person who owns the zoom account and have the right sales level on it where you can actually see if they've got another screen up in front of the Zoom screen. So oh, I was not aware of this. That's right. So just a little heads up. They actually do expect <laughs> you to pay attention during the meeting. So bear Good that in mind, folks. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, uh, Zoom, a lot of people have sat there and said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> and Zoom's like, uh, we're, we're uh, Look over there. <laughs> well, and I've seen uh, I've seen some chatter online lately because we use Zoom here. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're using Zoom now for for this right. show. Um, but I have I'm looking seen, at a completely different screen. I, well, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. As much as you just don't pay attention to me at all, anyway. What? Um, yeah, right. So, um, by the way, did you answer those twelve texts that I sent you earlier? Um, no, but the, um, the the online chatter about Zoom has been that there are a couple of vulnerabilities in oh, sure. the program, uh, mainly involving um, Macintosh, uh, Apple. I say Macintosh, Apple devices, uh, and a backdoor apparently in uh, – somewhere that actually somebody would be able to hack in and turn on the camera by remote and put you into a call by remote and you wouldn't know it and apparently this has been this is this has been addressed so uh, the 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 article that I saw today zoom had said that they have addressed that vulnerability and they have taken out uh, pieces of the code that were attached to the login with Facebook function. Mm-hmm. So, because you can either, you, if you get an invite for a call on Zoom, and for those of you who are just starting to use this software, because there were a lot of people that are doing that, uh, you could either sign up for an account, in which case you just log in through through that account for Zoom. Or, the, you know, it's like a lot of other places, you have this patch that says, you know, log in through Zoom, log in through Twitter, log in through Facebook or whatnot. Right. And apparently the Facebook widget was sending data to Facebook. Sure. Like all Facebook's widgets. Yeah. So they they did a little Jimmy Riggin thing and, and turned that part off. So... 
As far as I can tell from the different things that are are out there, I think Zoom is a little bit less vulnerable now than it was. But since I don't use an Apple device, I haven't really worried about it. Well, so so for the when I talked about this before, uh, but it's been a while. I use both. So right now, the camera that I'm speaking to you on, and the microphone that I'm speaking to you on, is plugged into my PC laptop. Mm -hmm. And over here on this side of the screen, which you can't see, but behind me, you can see the other one. I have two iMacs. Um, the one behind me is just older. Uh, it works perfectly fine, but it doesn't can't do some of the things that the newer one right over here can. So I'm, I, I'm a cross-platform person. I don't have a preference. Um, certainly, they are good for various things. I mean, there's stuff I can do on the Mac I can't do on my PC and vice versa, so I like them both. Um, I never use this Max camera for Zoom calls. I the only time I, I will I will I will set up Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. I'll put them in the calendar right. using my Mac. But I haven't had a Zoom call on my. Well, I, I had I had one like two days ago for about five minutes because I was setting up a call for one of my one of my staff. Um, so it's like, hmm, there's a vulnerability. Good thing I don't ever use it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, but no, I mean, all all these things are useful tools, and the thing that everyone you have to bear this stuff in mind. They're all they're all useful tools that are they have their pros and cons. Um, there are a lot of folks who just hate Zoom, uh, or they hate Skype, or they hate all the various things. You know, pick pick a pick a product, and and it has detractors. But overall, I found that both of these have been both Skype and Zoom. You know, for what you need. Um, they generally do a pretty good job, and if, and especially right now, the good the the you just have to be patient. We we've, we've noticed that from time to time, with the increased traffic, um, sometimes Skype and Zoom have issues, but yeah, that's just yeah. to be expected. Well, and the other thing too is somebody that had pointed me toward these articles about Zoom's vulnerability. They were saying use Google Hangouts, and I'm like, I'm not using Google. No, thank you. So everybody's got. Uh, you know, everybody's got their their pick your corporate behemoth. Yeah. Remember that. Remember that at this point in, in through a lot of for a lot of science fiction writers, this was the point where corporations would have taken over uh, the ruling class entirely, and we would all be serving our corporate overlords. There would be no real governments left. It would right. all just be you know, um, and and um, I'm not saying we're there yet, but one day when the Facebook Google war erupts, well, I'll have to pick a side. <laughs> it won't be Disney buying everything up like we thought. Um, Robert in the chat, is it wrong? I have apocalyptic dreams of Disney and the mouse converted to a hellscape like the amusement park in Zombieland. <laughs> I don't think I don't I don't think we'll get the, I don't think we'll quite get there because Disney's not healthy at the moment. So financially. Well, I think you got to just, you know, bear, a lot of these a lot of these companies go through definite phases where they aren't but they tend to recover pretty well. The House of the Mouse has been around for a long time. It's yeah. gonna, I think it would take some real effort for them to completely I screw it up that I, I saw a video from Grace Randolph today talking about she does she does a thing on Mondays called movie math and usually the topic is the box office numbers for the weekend sure. and you know how we get there and what does it mean and all of that and it's usually analysis of of that 
Um, but of course, given the fact that we haven't had any box office, she's been looking right. at other things. So she's casting a wide net, and she's talking today about the fact that Bob Iger and Bob Chapek over at Disney have cut their their salaries down to. I mean, Iger's cut his down to nil, and Chapek's down to very little. And her, I don't know how solid her information is, but she's connecting Iger's early unexpected departure and looking at the timing of it. And then, of course, we had all of those other corporate CEOs that abandoned ship all about the same time and within about a month of each other. Remember all of that? Mm-hmm. And that was right before all of this pandemic stuff started. And uh, Grace was saying that there could be a connection there between information that maybe they got from people that they know who knew, who saw, who predicted, who whatever. And they saw the coming storm on the Wall Street front and said, okay, it's time for us to get out before this whole thing crashes in on itself. So there, I don't know how, how much there is to that. I don't know how solid her information is, but... I well, I, I, you know, we, <clears throat> we're seeing politicians who are getting investigated for potentially having insider knowledge and using it to, to take advantage of that when it comes to their own personal stocks. Uh, executives of large corporations have been known to do that as well. So I'm not saying that happened. Yeah, it's not remotely an accusation. Sometimes, sometimes things really are coincidence. Well, and and knowing that something is about to happen in the marketplace and leaving your job is a little bit different from changing your investment strategy knowing oh, sure, something's no coming happen. So, yeah, it, it could look weird. It could look hinky, but it, you, maybe there's nothing, you know, I, I doubt that there's anything illegal going on. It's just the timing of it is very interesting that that Iger especially would have gotten out because a lot of people have suspected Iger of having political ambitions. Mm, possible, yeah. So who knows? I don't know. But anyway, speaking of the pandemic, that's where we are tonight. And that's what we are talking about tonight. And we are at the point, at least in our house at home, where certain people are starting to get a little bored, a little stir-crazy, a little, I'd like to get out, please. Sure. You know, the eyes are starting to glaze over. And so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? So, yes, cough, cough, indeed, <clears throat> Mrs. Boss. <laughs> so, so what I thought we'd do, last week we talked, we basically talked just in general about what's been going on and, and the impact on things. Um, we have been doing daily reports on the Comic-Con schedules and how that's been impacted and affected. And I want to I want to just take a look here. We are at 291 events so far that have either canceled or postponed or rescheduled mm-hmm. and that number continues to change and it's one of those things where we're keeping an eye on it, but 
you know, some of the ones that now have moved their dates to May or June, now we start to wonder how many of those are going to have to move their dates again. And some of them have canceled simply because, okay, we're looking at September, October, November, December. You know, we're looking at the back half, you know, the back third of this year. And of course, all of the all of the events from March to May are shifting. And so now everything's starting to stack. I don't know how many that I've seen have moved to the July 4th weekend. I mean, there are going to be gobs of Comic-Cons every weekend, and that means that the venues are going to be locked up and not going to be able to do that. And, of course, the venues have other events like sporting events and trade shows, you know, the the home shows and the car shows, the RV shows and, and, you know, basketball games and volleyball and whatever else, reptile shows – and so everything's got to be fitting into to those schedules as well. And some of them have just looked at it and go, you know, we're just not even going to mess with it. We'll wait till 2021. Right. See ya. And there's, a, there's a lot of that. I mean, uh, the I work with the Kansas City Fringe Festival, uh, help run their film programs every year. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if the if it has to move off the dates that's currently on the calendar and it's, you know, it's off in June. So the, the dates are still there for now. Yeah. But if it if it has to move out of the dates that it has scheduled, there will not be a 2020 Casey Fringe Festival because there's you can't there's no way to reschedule essentially uh, 10 11 days of programming. Yeah. It just can't be done. Um, well, and we just got word that the World Expo which I, I didn't I wasn't even aware it was still going on, but the World Expo which is in uh, Dubai was going to be scheduled to run from October to April and they've pushed back they're going to start sometime in 2021 now and we don't we don't have that date yet but they they've even moved sure off of just, October so well know. yeah I mean it's it's the the reality is is that the ripple effect on this is going to Look, even if this, even if we were to somehow manage to make it through the next several months and and flatten the curve and find ourselves in a position where we, we can, you know, return to to something closer to normal, mm-hmm. um, that I don't think that'll be for several, quite a few months now. But even so, the ripple effect beyond that is going to have impact because all the things oh, yeah. that did move, um, you know, so it's going to be this is going to be one of those things where we're going to be dealing with it well into next year. Oh, uh, undoubtedly. So um, some of this impact we'll be feeling for a, a couple of years at least. Well, ec- ec- you know, I think economically we'll see it for – it'll be out for yeah. the, several years out. Thomas uh, says the apocalypse has been good to him. 73 downloads last week. Congratulations, sir. That was good. Um, we have not had 73 downloads on much of anything yet. Um, although – our special report on the state of the comics industry from Sunday two weeks ago. Was it? No, wait. March 22nd. When was it? Oh, a week, a week ago yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's sitting at 78. So that's not bad for us. <coughs> that's actually pretty good for us. Um, so, yeah, it's it's doing pretty well. And everything else, you know, we're in double digits. There you go. No. 
So all right. So so what have you what have you been having, Mrs. Boss? When you when you plopped her down in front of the TV and said, "Watch this." Uh, well, last night, uh, non-genre. Last night we watched Casablanca. It was her very first time to see it. <clears throat> Mindy. <laughs> Yeah. Let me guess. Let me guess. She hasn't seen The Big Sleep or The Thin Man or uh, no. I think we've gone through all the thin, we've gone through all the Thin Man movies, right? Yes. Uh, not The Big Sleep. Have you seen Best. The Big Sleep? No. Have you seen The Maltese Falcon? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. All right, now, folks. Completely not not a science fiction or fantasy, but but the 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 film noir detective film is a genre it's just a different genre okay if i if i if there's one film one film i recommend it is the big sleep okay it is the best bogart movie and i will and you can disagree with me but you're wrong um (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's just i mean it's it really is uh one of the the best all-time great detective films um and and it's just uh if you can find the DVD Blu-ray is out there that has like there's like three different versions of the film, and if you can get a copy of that where you can actually watch all three different versions and compare them, uh, just it's so much fun. And there's great commentary tracks on that sort of thing. So that's if that if you're looking for something that is like a, pe- a cla- great piece of film history, not to mention great performances from Bogart and Bacall and, and Veronica Lake and yeah. the other great ones. That one I ha- oh I recommend that so highly. So it's possibly it's in my top ten favorite films of all time. Well, and and the other the other part of that too is that not only did we watch Casablanca last night, but we also watched it on the VHS. <laughs> so you know, I got to see, I got to see it in the theater on the big screen for the 50th anniversary when it toured the when it opened, when it came back into theaters for its 50th back when I was in college. I mean, yeah. it was a, it's been a while, but uh, in fact, um, gosh, seventy. Uh, 70- 75th should be coming up here somewhere around here. Yeah, soon. May have, may have gone past that. Um, um, I, missed I don't it, know, but... what was it, 40, 40, which is 40, 42 when that movie came out? Well, you know what? I, it made me still have time for that. So maybe it'll, maybe, maybe it'll go back into theaters on limited runs. That would be fantastic. Well, that was the, yeah, the, the VHS was the 50th anniversary edition, but that's, I've had that in my collection for a a day or two um another another film noir that i mean I, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to get into the list of the uh, of the science fiction ones here for a second but another one sure. film, film noir is the third man mm-hmm. with orson wells no question uh that's a that's a good one as well as is citizen kane of course um, well, if you want to get into classic films that are genre pictures go back to those original universal ones and yep. uh, but not only that, go back further. Go get you know watch Nosferatu. I'm pretty sure you can find these. You can find you'll find these things on Netflix and Amazon Prime and that sort of thing. Nosferatu, um, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly influential film. On we we still see films that are influenced by Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, whether, yeah. they, whether you realize it or not. That film was incredibly influential for production design and how. Th- the camera angles and how things were done. It's an amazing movie. Uh, Metropolis, you know, go back, go back and find the classics. They're silent pictures. I realize that some people have an issue with that. I actually have, I have uh, a copy. 
I have Nosferatu on a VHS that I think my dad recorded off a PBS one one time when I was in college. I I was away, mm-hmm. and you know I don't have access to television where I was, and you know he was well, okay. Kid's probably going to be interested in this. He'll tape it. So sure. I've got Nosferatu on a VHS copy somewhere. Um, and of course the 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 other the other part of the the Universal Monsters is all of the Abbott Costello meets sure. mm-hmm. Dracula and Frankenstein monster and, and all of that. So well, and if we okay, if we you got to get more into the, the science fiction, fantasy, and horror stuff, but Marx Brothers movies. <laughs> Binge, binge the Marx Brothers films. Most of that stuff is available. Invited at the Opera. Um, you know, there's just so many great, so many great uh, Marx Brothers comedies. Uh, you know, Abbott and Costello, Marx Brothers. Never a big fan of the Three Stooges, although a lot of people love them. Um, I'm more of the verbal comedy kind of thing than the, sure. sorry, the slapstick. Uh, but they're fun. They're, they're certainly fun. I enjoy them. I just don't have the same kind of love for them as I've got like the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Robert says, Willem Dafoe's Nosferatu is one of his favorite reimaginings. Um, Thomas says, you have Nosferatu on VHS. Does he mind? Uh, <laughs> oh, but dum ba dum ba dum So um, speaking of verbal puns you know verbal verbal as opposed to slapstick and whatnot i guess that could be uh my entry point into lists of place uh, books and movies and tv shows i'm gonna start with spider robinson Mm -hmm. um callahan's cross time saloon and yeah. Lady Slings the Booze are mm-hmm. two uh, collections of, of stories that incorporate quite a bit of very clever wordplay and punnery. Um, yes. There's a lot of puns. The, a lot of really terrible, terrible, very terrible, very funny yes. puns. The doctor is probably the worst at it, uh, the best at it, but the worst at it. Uh, uh, folks, just just to give you a concept here, that it's a bar where um, you can find it if you need to find it. Yeah. And and strange people walk into the bar on a regular basis. Imagine, if you will, every joke with dot 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 walks into a bar. Okay. Now, <laughs> pick, pick your science fiction or mythological creature, and it's a leprechaun walks into a bar, mm. a time traveler walks into a bar, and you know, a, an alien robot bent on destroying the Earth walks into a bar, you know, and and, and it runs from to, there. Yeah, and they have to throw their if they, they get a drink and they throw the shot glass, they have to tell a story. Yeah, and so um, now, Lady Slings the Booze is a little bit different because it hap- it, it takes place not in a bar. It's Callahan's wife who runs a brothel, mm-hmm. um, a very unique brothel. Yes, and let's see, Nikola Tesla is there, and the, there's a talking German Shepherd, mm-hmm. and it just it just gets. It just gets wilder from there. It is a very interesting series of stories. It's one of the best things about those stories, and there's quite a few books actually in the series. I think there's probably seven or eight actual collections of stories. Um, And one of the things that, for all the fact that they're very funny, 
and the fact that they are they're very clever writing and great homages to various types of science fiction. They're also ultimately very warm and uplifting stories, even in some of the darker places. Yeah. Uh, the premise, the premise of the reason why this bar is even there, and the the person who's telling the story, really, the main the the point of view character, has a very tragic backstory. Um, but there, it ultimately is about hope and family, and, and finding a way to 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 look at tomorrow and see something good. And especially right now, when things are grim, or, or you're feeling you know overwhelmed, those kind of stories are. Are, are great to have. Well, and Robinson has been compared to Heinlein in terms of his yeah. tone, his uh, his sense of humor, um, the types of stories that he tells, and and I've got a couple of Heinlein ones on on my uh, on my list here. But of course, you've got Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm-hmm. You've got Friday. I, I, right. I I'm particularly taken with that story. Um, Catter walks through walls. Catter walks through walls. Uh, a lot of his story collections, I think, just because you get his uh, his future history kind of stuff, where you know he basically charts, you know, mankind stepping into space. Right. Uh, and and I think that now the one thing you have to bear in mind about Heinlein is that toward the end of his writing, he he combined he long before Stephen King tried to make it, you know, tried to make the Dark Tower connect every single one of his stories um actually long before clark was doing it as well uh heinlein was basically building all of his stories into a kind of a shared universe yeah certainly a shared multiverse uh and um you know you have to bear in mind that heinlein had some very interesting ideas about some things uh and so consequently um if you get into his later books be aware that as he starts to link things together, you get some interesting I- discussions on some social things that you may or may not be okay with. Um, and uh, some biology things you may or may not be okay, okay with. Um, well, okay, just, there's themes of incest that run in, in the later books and and you may not be comfortable with, you know, that popping up as much as it does in the later books. Yeah. It's a balancing act. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. But, you know, it, it, on the on the flip side of that, too, he has some really interesting ideas in some of his books. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, of course, Pixel the Cat. So. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and Methuselah's Children um, was really a fascinating exploration of what it would be like to be something close to immortal the Howard families are a recurring theme that run through his books and they're they're long lived they're basically part of a, a long running uh, biology experiment really mm-hmm. you, uh, to to make people be able to live considerably longer lives and so it's basically a breeding experiment that, that these people have put together and there comes a point where people start to notice that people aren't getting, aren't, aren't aging right. They're, they're living too long. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, suddenly they become the targets of, no one No one wants to believe that there's just genetics at this point. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they leave the planet. They basically go, we're out. And they off to explore the, explore the galaxy. And it's a, uh, 
it's a fascinating kind of way of looking at you know the reasons why you would do that why you would go exploring because you don't have a choice uh you know and and some really interesting ideas of what other life on other planets would be some heinland had some really really great and wild ideas oh yeah very entertaining stuff well and um you know in that time period too i mean you talk about the shared universes asimov even started to pull a lot of his stuff together too oh, sure. with the foundation stuff um but then of course you had hp lovecraft sure uh which was uh, about that same time a little earlier in 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 the in the actual years um but he started in later years to start pulling things together it was almost like various different authors started looking at things and thinking oh hey you know i could take this piece over here and this piece over here and this piece over here and and you know put it together and they could share and uh, the the idea of the shared universe seems to have, have been something that they all stumbled across well, you ended up with people who, back in those days, a lot of writers were writing each other letters and oh, saying, yeah. fan, and, and sending stories to each other and offering encouragement to, to younger writers and things like that. Um, although you can find some very entertaining stories about people who are just like, don't write me again. <laughs> um, but uh, Wouldn't that be uh, fun if we do that now? Yes, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the so you end up with these, you know, great shared, you know, somebody's like, you know, hey, I really, I really loved your your story, you know, to in your character Cull, you know, you're writing this to Robert E. Howard, and and Robert E. Howard says, well, you know what, I really, really liked, you know, your character you know, Randolph Carter, and and you know, you'd have these conversations, uh, and suddenly you'd have like a somebody would be writing a thing for a pulp magazine or something and they would write their own version of a conan or a cull or a carter and they would they would include you know there'd be little in jokes for the other writer right you know so there a name would be you know it'd be a little bit of this a little bit of that and and fun these guys they were entertaining themselves and each other so it ended up being kind of this shared thing so that when lovecraft died and durlith you know for however you feel about what August Derleth did for making the Cthulhu mythos quite as much as black and white, good versus evil, mm. um, even though that was not Lovecraft's worldview at all. Um, Derleth is kind of responsible for the idea that some of these gods are even evil. Um, he's, he saved Lovecraft's work in many ways because it's, you know, if he, he had not popularized it, there's a good chance he would have not had the reach that it had. But even then, you look at some of the stuff that what Derleth was doing, because he was encouraging other writers to be part of this and to write stories in this world. So it ended up being a, a, a very much a uh, shared uh, vision of, of keeping Lovecraft stuff alive. And you see that stuff also come up. You get into, like, the Wild Cards books. Right, with uh, George R. R. Martin. George R. R. Martin, which was a deliberate shared universe. Yeah. Or Heroes in Hell... There was a, there was a, it was like the 80s was really good for this. You'd have a collection, uh, you'd have a theme, and then you'd invite a whole bunch of writers together and, and contribute a story, and you start world building that way. Mm. Uh, and then after a certain point, I mean, these were like series of books. So there were, I can't remember how many books were in the wild 
card series or in the Heroes in Hell, um, which was basically, you know, what if what if you woke up one morning and you were, you know, you were in hell uh, and everybody else was as well. So, you know, and some people are like, Julius Caesar decides he wants to conquer hell. So what happens next? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and and so you end up these are these great little short stories in, you know, collections that cover probably 10, 15 years. Um, they're a lot of fun. If you can, if, if, if you have any local bookstores still open, any, you'll find them in used bookstores. It's really hard to find, I think, any copies of this stuff uh, in, in the new stores. Short story collections don't have the, don't necessarily sell well over right. long periods of time. I'm but curious if, what uh, the Expendables Go to Hell will look like, that, that new crowdfunded comic book from Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Dixon and, and Graham Nolan. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you've got the Expendables creator, and you know, mm-hmm. you've got Stallone and Chuck Dixon doing the story, and Graham Nolan doing the art. And of course, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan created Bane for the right. Batman, the Batman comic books, and Chuck Dixon wrote Batman for DC Comics for a number of years. I that one, that one's one to watch. I think it's going to be interesting to see how how that one does because it's already. It's already doing really well making the money. I think they're close to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I think right now on their on their Indiegogo. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see what that does. Speaking of some horror stuff, I want to make a note here real quick while I'm thinking about it. Fangoria magazine, uh, which has come back as a print edition, since we're talking about the pulps, we're talking about the old, the the older stuff. Um, Fangoria right now, with all of this mess going on, they're offering a free two month trial online. Um, and if I'm reading this right, it looks like uh, what this does. This gives you access to the first fourteen issues, volume one of the original run of Fangoria and apparently what it looks like is that they are gradually going back and scanning and archiving and making digital copies of the original run of Fangoria nice yeah so the back issue library is going to be part of that as well. That's very exciting. So I thought I would share that. Um, and then it says here, after 60 days, they're only going to charge you $1.99 a month, which seems like it's very, very, very cheap. That's a very good deal. It is a very I good deal. I might have to take advantage of that one. And we do not get any of it for that. We don't get anything for that. No, no. It's just me sharing some information. I don't, I no, don't, we right. don't get a dime, unfortunately. We're fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and for that price, I mean, good Lord. Yeah, it's like, I might, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm signing up for that deal right there. Yeah. Um, one one that I thought was interesting, and and this is one that we got uh, we got the first two books in this series a few years ago for review, is uh, they're part of a of a of a series of books in the Newberry and Hobbs collection. Uh, the author is named George Mann M A N N, 
The first one is called The Affinity Bridge, and the second one is called The Osiris Ritual, and it looks like there's five or six books in this series. And it's essentially a steampunk Hobbs and, uh, Holmes and Watson mm. type of thing. And um, Newberry is the Holmes character, and Hobbs is the Watson character, and she's also you know, a scientist in, in her own right. And it's, it, they're, they're pretty fun, too. I would I would recommend those because that's it's new but it's in that same general feeling that you get when you're reading something like uh, the Barsoom books or mm. the Sherlock Holmes novels or sure. you know those kind of those kind of stories um, you know Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, that that set, and um, when you when you first come across Queen Elizabeth, it's an interesting scene. I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> because right. it, it is very very steampunk. Sure. Um, if you want uh, uh, a neat little series. Um, the strange case of the alchemist's daughter is the first in a series by a lady named Theodorus, Theodora Goss. And basically these are the daughters of the villains of 18th century literature. Mm. So it is the, it is the, uh, the, essentially the bride of Frankenstein, of course, the essentially the daughter of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. It is the daughters of Henry Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Oh, it is the daughter. So, and and these women find themselves in a time period where women women did not have a whole lot of power, and they are clearly uh, not normal for their time or their place or any time or place. Right. They have to band together to find a way to not only survive, but also to take on the evil forces because their fathers aren't necessarily dead. <laughs> and they're and they never they never stopped being just a bit evil. So sure. um and they there's three books in this series and they are just really entertaining. Um, not only are they uh, kind of great just playing in the world of, you know, the Invisible Man, you know, the H.G. Wells Invisible Man mm -hmm. and uh, Dr. Moreau and, you know, all these, you know, the uh, just all these really, really great villains of classic literature. But it's also they're really funny. Um, I mean, they, they're often often very, very dark and tragic. But the the characters are all written um as as people who who have those great funny conversations in the midst of chaos that you sure. sit there and have a smile on your face when you're reading it really enjoyed that series i highly recommend it it's kind of like uh kind of like um league of extraordinary gentlemen to to some degree it is except that it's very much a uh it's it's a lot narrower in the sense that league of extraordinary gentlemen um of course, tried to pull, well, not tried to, did pull from just about every 18th century and then into the 20th century as the series progressed, yeah. um, pop cult, British pop culture. Um, Alan Moore really just sat there and took so many, 
the annotated versions of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is just incredible to sit there kind of detail. Here's a cigarette pack from 1863 that this company went on to make hats. You know, I mean, it's just all <laughs> kinds of crazy things. Uh, but it ends up being a, uh, a much broader net. This is very pretty, I guess, relatively narrow, but Holmes, Sherlock Holmes is a character. Uh, Dracula is a character. Um, but they're, they're, the, they're not necessarily the Holmes and Dracula that you're used to because they're seen through a different set of eyes. Sure. Uh, and so that could, that's often very entertaining. Um, and I, like I said, I was just amused and entertained greatly by this series. And I think it's uh, one of the better fantasy series I've read in a while. Um, the downside is, is that there are only three books in the series. The series is done. They, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what Theodore Goss has in mind for the next things she writes, because I really enjoyed this squad. You know, it's kind of funny. You, you, you mentioned, you know, the humor and the, the daughters of the villains and the whatnot. And for whatever reason, I don't know why I thought of, um, time bangers. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought about that because it's not anything like this. <clears throat> Although, you know, humor, historical figures and whatnot. Um, but there are a lot of people that are waiting for that sequel. Oh yeah, no kidding. And it I'm hasn't it hasn't happened yet. So we'll have to we'll have to maybe do some digging to see what in, we find out. In on the that, same so. in the same realm of uh, it, it's set in modern times, but um, Vivian Shaw, another three book series. I think there's only going to be three books in this series as well. Um, uh, and it's the first one is called Strange Practice, and it's basically she is the she the the main character is a doctor in london whose practice involves the supernatural creatures in london mm. um so if you're a ghoul and you get a tooth infection <laughs> where do you go well you go to this doctor and if you're a vampire um who someone has stabbed with a with a silver knife you know where do you get it stitched up and um <laughs> Uh, again, it's uh, another. It's a different way of looking at these supernatural creatures and these creatures from horror. Because Varney the Vampire and Lord Ruthven, who are two very very important vampires in fiction, but less no well known as say your Draculas or your Lestats or that sort of thing, are main characters. And of course, they're seen through the point of view of a modern audience up to the 21st century, and they have opinions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's. Um, while there's a lot of humor in them, it is also uh, usually pretty. the The dangers are are, are pretty, pretty grim. Um, again, really well well written. You, you can tell when I've gotten on like a a, a tear of the, you know, ooh, this is an interesting series, and it'll it'll lead me to another interesting series in the same vein. Right, Highlander film is really very good. entertaining. Yeah. Really, really entertaining. Yes. The second one, no. The third one is not a great film, but but if you have to, if you are forced to watch the third one, <laughs> watch the first one immediately before it. Watch it back to back. Yeah. Because while it does not make the third movie a good movie, it makes it better because you can see how much they were doing callbacks to the first film. Right. If you have to do it. 
I'm just, I'm, I don't recommend it. It's yeah. not a good film. You know, I got to thinking the, uh, this morning about, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing film, film watches and if you're doing film, film binges and whatnot, I, that kind of, of recommendation could also apply to the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, sure. Where you can do Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade back to back. Oh, sure. And not lose anything because the you know uh, uh, Temple of Doom is so completely disconnected from the other two. And well, you could really watch Temple of Doom first because it's set prior to. Yeah, you could. You know, I, it, to me, sequence. it's not as good though. I mean, for all that everybody loves Short Round, and you really- have the Busby Berkeley thing at the beginning, it's not as good. And I and I think I figured out a, a reason why. I have I have a reason why in my opinion it's not I, I don't I don't know it's not a question of not as good it's a different genre. Well, yeah, there is that. It's I mean it's it's not actually the first Indian you know uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a supernatural archaeology film, which is a very very narrow genre I'm aware, mm-hmm. but um, the the you know. It's a lot more like a a, a uh, haggard uh, novel. It's a lot more like she or or the classic, you know, go into the jungle, fight the the ancient evil, or discover the ancient civilization kind of thing. I mean, it's it's much more got that sort of pulp horror aspect to it than yeah. Raiders of Lost Ark really doesn't have pulp horror. It's more of a pulp adventure novel. Well, and and the thing that I think makes um, Raiders and Last Crusade work better is uh, is the connection to Christianity in those two films. It, because for all of the worldliness that Indiana Jones displays as a character you have his connection to his faith in those two films that you don't have in Temple of Doom. And I think it grounds that character a little bit differently than, you know, just going after the Shankara stones or whatever, I think, because he comes in and and you look at between Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade where he is in his faith because he opens up the book and you know power you know lightning whatever power of god and he's kind of dismissive at that point at the beginning of raiders and as you go through that that story and he gets to the end he's he's like okay this is an actual real thing this is the ark and and he understands what he's got his hands on and the power of behind it and all of that so when you get to the end he's fully invested don't look at it you know when he's like don't look at it marion he's the belief is there Mm. and then you get to last crusade and dealing with a father who is steeped in this stuff you know the study looking at the holy grail and all of these all of this christian mythology that's built up around it and you know all of this stuff you can tell that he's grown up with this with with some aspect of a faith 
that maybe he's not living very well, but it's there. And I think that element of the character is not in Temple of Doom. And I and and the that plus the fact that it's darker in its tone and its theme because it's the second one, um, I think makes it not quite as good. I could I could see the argument there. I came up with that one about five seconds this morning. It just just hit me in the head. So and and yes, the look that I gave Mrs. Boss last night when she mentioned the other Highlander movies. Yeah. The first one's no, good. It's it's a definite example of someone not knowing nobody after the first film, <laughs> even though the director of the first film directed the second film. Um, even it's an example of not knowing what to do with the story. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, what do you do after after he becomes the last one? Well, you find a, you find a reason and a way for him not to be. Which, if you're going to if you're going to do that kind of weird retcon, mm. then you do what they did with the TV show, which is you know kind of say, yeah, a thing happened, and oh look, Ky- Connor McCloud has gone away. <laughs> yeah, here's Duncan. Hi, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's you. Just, you you hand wave it away, and and that that's about the only thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, double feature that I could recommend since we're talking about movies back to back. Ooh. Um, well, I tell you what, you do Nosferatu and then you do Shadow of the Vampire, which is what uh, uh, I think Robert was referring to, where William Defoe plays oh, yeah? Nosferatu, uh, plays plays the actual vampire, um, because it is a fictionalized version of the making of the film Nosferatu Mm. uh, with the basic premise of course being that um, Max Schreck is not in fact an actor Max Schreck (laughs) is in fact a vampire yeah and uh, so it's and yeah um, Defoe is just brilliant in it it's a fantastic cast well Um, well, Defoe is brilliant in just about everything that he does oh yeah but I mean he's just there's there are moments in that film where he's looking right at the camera and you're thinking to yourself, Oh God, Oh God, <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> he's so, he's so wonderfully creepy in it. And, wow. and, and yeah, I, that would be a fantastic film. John Malkovich is in that. Uh, Carrie Elwes is in that. Uh, Udo Kier. Uh, it's a great film. Speaking um, of Carrie Elwes, you could do uh, the princess bride paired up with what? Robin Hood men in tights. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Well, the the only reason is because he does he ultimately has not done that much in the fantasy realm. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get play with genre films, your next one over is Saw. So, well, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be that would be kind Saw. of a yeah that'd be kind of no. a little bit of a one eighty. You don't you don't put those back to back. I mean, maybe sure if you want if you want if you want Whiplash. If that's your yeah. goal for the double feature is Whiplash, then um, sure. But no, I mean, and Robin Hood Men in Tights, while it is not one of the best Mel Brooks films, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of his middle range. You know, it's 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 funny, but yeah, it's not. It, you know, it's not producers or Young Frankenstein or you know, uh, 
Blazing Saddles or any like the gr- the really great Mel Brooks comedies. It's an entertaining little way to spend an hour and a half. It's funny. I saw somebody had posted, and I don't know if it was Facebook or Twitter where I saw this. Somebody said, okay, you get a chance to remake Blazing Saddles. Who's your cast? And the first thing in my head was nobody would get to make Blazing Saddles now. Oh. Nobody would ever touch Blazing Saddles now. The sad thing is, is that you're right, and they, it would be, pre, and people would be missing the point because one of the things that Mel Brooks has always made very, very clear over the years about films like, especially Blazing Saddles, is that it was set to mock so many of the things mm-hmm. that that. You know the racism and and the sexism and and all the things that I don't know if you can hear that or not. That's a very loud siren going to my street. Hear that? Um, so you haven't gotten away from that yet? No, I, I live I live in Midtown Kansas City. I can't do anything about it. Um, but there is, you know, it was it was so much a if you if you make these folks the butt of the joke, if you make if you make these people who who have these these terrible views the butt of the joke. Um, you know that's that's one of the ways that you can actually do real damage. But see, to, it, it's and, and the other the other part of that is you know, when you say you know, people would miss the point. You know this idea, and we've talked about this a little bit before, where you know the political correctness, the identity politics, and all of that kind of creeping into things. If you were to do blazing saddles now, the focus would be so completely different. Oh yeah, and no, and and this idea of mocking those particular behaviors, people would miss the point because it's in the subtext of the story. It's not, I mean, it's it's a it's a parody, it's a comedy, of course, but it's built into the DNA of the script. It's not, right. yeah. hey, let me hit you over the head with racism, bad. Well, you know, but at the same time, it was very much in your face. I mean, it was. I, but not it was. Subtle. Yeah, but it was in your face in a way that was blatantly. It was blatantly comedic in its oh, in sure. its form. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't preachy. It was. Hey, we're going to have a good time, and we're going to make fun of. Uh, we're going to make fun of this bad mindset, but we're going to do it in a way that you have a good time, whether you get the point or not. What we need somebody to do, if you, if, uh, uh, um, well, so the, there's a number of problems with remaking a film like Blazing Saddles. Um, first of all, uh, the Western was a lot closer mm-hmm. to being a popular genre when it came out. Yeah. A lot of the figures involved with that were some of the great comedians of the day. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, you'd, have, you'd have to cast it so well, and you'd have to basically, you couldn't, you couldn't do it because... You would want to, if you're going to make that kind of story, yeah. if you're going to make that kind of let's mock the people who, who you know, are, are not bringing anything good to the conversation um, and yet are really loud, um, which is what that film ultimately is doing. Um, you would have to, you'd have to write that for a modern audience in such a way that, <laughs> I mean, the fact that you know, could, even you couldn't do it, but even look at look even look at Mel Brooks at the beginning of his career with producers and Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles, and then at the tail end we're getting Dracula Dead and Loving It, uh, you know, I mean, Robin Hood Men in Tights. You could, there's a definite you know, 
even at that period, he wasn't still making those stories. Those are tough stories to yeah. write. Well, so no. and I think I think in in a lot no, of ways, I, I think in a lot of ways too, he got safer. Um, I mean, Spaceballs doesn't age well, and the humor in it is very juvenile, but it's also not. It's not on the same level as Blazing Saddles or oh, you know, no. Frankenstein. Well, or like but that. I think that you look at in terms of the commentary. Oh, yeah. Well. I mean, there's nothing, nothing in, in something like that. No, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing with Robin Hood Men in Tights. It it was much more mocking. Mel Brooks works best, in my opinion, when he's shooting a broad set of targets not no. just one target he's not making fun of Star Wars movies he's not making fun of Robin Hood movies he's not making fun of Dracula movies which is really when you look at those films he's targeting a specific kind of genre yeah. less a you know young Frankenstein um, it's, it's not just about black and white movies and the Frankenstein story there's a lot more going on there. Right. I mean, the producers is not just about the producers is not just about a very very bad idea for a Broadway show. There's a lot of social commentary going in there uh, about being, you know, um, young and Jewish in the entertainment industry and getting, you know, there's a lot of things happening in these stories in his early part of his career. Uh, and in the later part, it was much more. I have a target. I'm going to shoot at it. Um, fifty percent of the jokes will hit, yeah. And we'll 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 all remember Carrie Elba saying, "But unlike some Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent." That's the line we remember, sure. right? Right. Only and again, you know, if we hadn't had uh, um, a really really bad Robin Hood movie with a very large budget and some very big names. That line uh, would not have have landed as well without that, or, or lasted as long as a funny line. Yeah. So, I'm going to do this recommendation for a double feature: The Phantom, starring Billy Zane. Okay. Yes. Follow, followed by The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin. Um, I would say, The Phantom, and then The Rocketeer. Oh. I could I could get on board with that. Yes, the and Rocketeer my, is very good. My problem with the Shadow, and I own it and I enjoy it, is that the uh, I really really want a really good Shadow movie to be made, uh -huh. and it is an adequate Shadow movie. It's very much in the Batman, you know, uh, Tim Burton Batman vein of of things happening there, right? Uh, and I think that the shadow, unfortunately, the the problem with the shadow is that you basically have to straddle the line of horror, um, because the shadow is if you if you read the novels, if you read uh, the the best of the comic book series that have been put out, uh, and there's you know uh, just about every comic book company has had the license for the shadow at some point mm -hmm. at this point. I think Dynamite's got them now, right? I think they do. I think I think it's Dynamite now. Um, and there's been a wide range. DC had it for a while, and and um, as much as you know, there's there's certain parts of the DC later run where it's like this was a terribly bad idea. Um, but the shadow has to be dark. It, it is actually designed to be dark and gritty. We don't necessarily want dark and gritty in some of our heroes. No. The shadow is supposed to be, um, and so it's a little too 
lighthearted. But there's some great fun moments in it. So I can't, it's not that I don't recommend it for a fun superhero movie, but I love The Phantom. It's actually one of my, uh, Treat Williams in The Phantom is so, such a great villain. You sit there and wonder, why did people not cast Treat Williams as a bad guy more yeah. often? Because he's so fun as a villain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. That's, and that's, Dynamite does have it there in volume three now. Yeah, the dynamite the dynamite series is actually pretty good uh, overall. Yeah, but I think uh, you could do a triple bill with Phantom and Shadow and Rocketeer because they're all of a time period. They're all of a oh, yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. And then if yep. you really wanted to 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 go further, you add Doc Savage to that list. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can. I confess to not being a huge fan of the Dark Doc Savage movie. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it, it's, it's a movie that happened. Um, yeah, and it's unfortunate because it's got. It had uh, so much potential. It did, and I'm and every time every time we hear about a new Doc Savage film, you know, uh, Stallone was uh, not Stallone. Uh, Schwarzenegger was going to star as Doc Savage once, and and The Rock is going to star as Doc Savage, and blah, blah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And one day, we will get a Doc Savage movie, and I really, really hope they treat it like a big pulp adventure but not campy yeah that's the problem because when you go when you go into that time period and i think that's one of the reasons why there were so many problems with the marketing of john carter is Mm -hmm. the people making that movie they got it they understood what they were doing they understood what they were making the rest of the studio machine didn't understand what they had their hands on and part of that i think is the time period of the story where the you know where where the story takes place when the story takes place but also when the original source material was written yeah and you get into this um and and modern era sensibilities come into play when you're looking back on stuff and you know it's like um it's like people looking at lovecraft's work and now wanting to dismiss an entire body of work because they don't like you know the the personality behind it and and not not to say that they were looking at at you know uh edgar rice burroughs that way but the time period you know how characters behave, how characters act is different sure. than modern times. And I think we're short-sighted and, and I don't know if this is a generational thing or if it's a political thing or an upbringing thing or a whatever, but I think that the people in charge of making these films are a little short-sighted because they're here. And their world is what they've experienced in the last 10, 15 years. They live in a box. And, oh, I grew up watching this. Let's make a new one and we'll make it funny. And that's their, that's their whole reality. And they don't think any further back than, than 30 or 40 years back. I think there's definitely some of that. I think there's also part of the machine of producing a film is that 
a really good script can, by the time it actually gets to filming, mm. have been threshed, mangled, mutilated, folded, yeah. torn. Um, and the fact that we get really, really good films sometimes, um, the number of hands a script can pass through. Um, and, and you run into a certain fact that there is, if a studio has had success with a certain kind of movie, they're going to try and stick whatever thing is into, like the shadow, making, putting the shadow in the Batman mold. Yeah. Because, you know, because here we have, Bat, uh, we have a successful superhero film, you know, and, and this is what they're going to look like now. So, so you have. Well, you know, and, and that particular example, you know, the shadow and the Batman are so close and similar anyway. Well, Batman was. Terms, a, you know, I mean, he was. Yeah, he was influenced by the shadow. And except that the shadow is, you just can't get around the fact that the shadow is a. His solution is, kill them. Yeah. Batman has put them in the put them in Arkham. The shadow's solution is no, no. Um, I don't want them getting out of the asylum next week. Um, so I'm just going to kill them. And and it's a it you have to you have to straddle a line. The shadow is closer to modern audiences, and like it pains me to say this in a way. Um, because they're very different characters, uh, but he's probably closest to the modern version of, say, um, the Punisher. I mean, they're they're yeah, super. They're very that. they're very different types of character. Um, but, but their solution of, is the same. Their solution is the same, and and you have to walk a fine line because that kind of solution. And I think one of the things that the Daredevils, the 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 Punisher appeared in when first season of Punisher and 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 appearances in Daredevil and that sort of thing. Um, worked well was that you walk a fine line with a character like that mm. because that kind of mindset is a bad one to have we don't we don't live in a world where it's healthy for people to have that mindset right the dangerous thing to have somebody basically saying i'm going to be the moral arbiter of good and evil and i've got a gun we know this is bad yeah so so walking that fine line with a character like the shadow i think one of the reasons we haven't gotten anything like that not only is because sam raimi couldn't get the rights and so he got dark man instead and if you and by the way if you haven't seen the first dark man film uh with sam raimi directed it it's the film he made because he couldn't get the rights to the shadow it's worth watching yep. liam neeson is the star he was the star i think in one more of the dark man films and then or, or was it just that i can't remember um, i think he was, was just in the first one yeah, because I think uh, uh, I think there were three Darkman films, but the first one's I think probably the best, the only one you need to watch. Um, but it's a tough, it's a tough thing finding finding the right voice for that, the right script to make a character who is such an absolutist um, and whose worldview is so right versus wrong mm. to that extreme is super tough, and yet I love. The pulp, the shadow pulp novels—they're so entertaining. Um, and he's got a—you know—you just have to—you have to sell a movie audience on that kind of moral clarity, which is why it works in the era of the gangs, you know, the 1930s and you know, gangland and, right. and and all that sort of thing. Which is why you can get that. I see here on IMDb we have um, Dark Man of 1990. We had a short in 2012. Uh, a TV movie in 1992, uh, and then in that series, uh, you had Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, mm -hmm. and Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die, and those two apparently, it looks like they went straight to video. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and let's see here your star um arnold arnold Vosloo played dark man in those two films so liam neeson was just in the first one and arnold Vosloo, for those of you who uh the name sounds familiar he was imhotep from the mummy films with brendan fraser uh and for you know the uh um as i recall i recall those second the second and third film as being entertaining but not particularly great um and it's been a long time since i've seen them so actually that's a triple feature that i should probably do just because i have i haven't watched the second and third film in probably 15 15 20 years yeah it's funny you mentioned you know too many cooks in the kitchen i think that's one of the problems that not not just films have but i think that's one of the problems that star trek picard had with i think i counted 15 executive producers i mean it's a mess and, well, you, and know, the, you and i both know that yes. executive producers don't necessarily have sometimes an executive producer is someone who just got their name onto it yeah they, they i i know movie. but i'm i'm looking at this and i'm seeing how many people have their hands in story and how many people are doing this and it was, it's just and it and it just goes to you know that whole idea of too many people in charge because if you have if you have an executive producer title there are some people who think that means that you have some authority to go with it. Sure. And I, I think there were a few too many people who exercised that. And it's, we finally finished it. Uh, uh, finished the first season yesterday. And I personally, I don't have any, any desire to see a second season. I, 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 I had, very I had, I had no, I had very little expectation. And you and I have talked about this before. At this point, I mean, I don't, I just can't get angry about people. If they either tell the story and I enjoy it or they, I don't. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, there's Picard series. That's great. Okay, cool. Let's, let's see what they do. And I, I enjoyed some episodes and I, and there were some, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And I, quite frankly, I enjoyed Patrick Stewart going off and doing Patrick Stewart things and so I was like the thing that bothered me about his performance is I think more than anything else you have a Shakespearean train you know, a Shakespearean actor theatrically trained classically trained and Picard in the next generation was had had a very commanding presence and not just because of his physicality the way he stood his posture and his bearing and his demeanor and all of that but the strength of his voice and one thing that i kept circling back to is his voice in this in this season of this show is almost not there in some places it's very weak oh, and you mean because he got old well uh, see the I thing mean, about it is though there are certain times when his voice is right there and he's and he's out there 
but and, yeah, and he's and he's full volume and his voice is strong and solid and he does sound like Patrick Stewart playing John Luke Picard. But most of the show, most of the first season of this show, he doesn't sound like Picard. He See, sounds just... like the he sounds like a tired old man and that is kind of the it, setup for the show. I know, but it just doesn't it doesn't the pro so so the thing, okay, so here's here's the thing that I keep coming back to with the, the conversations I have with a couple people. Um, is that we want these shows to be the same because this is what we grew up on, but we have to recognize that things change. We don't necessarily have to like how they change. But as an actor, and of course Stuart is Patrick Stewart is behind this right you don't want to keep playing the same character anymore well, quite I can frankly, understand that but but also quite frankly you could not do the kind of non-serialized storytelling that next generation we all fell in love with that cast and crew but it reset every episode so the the basic model and again I'm not saying you have to like Picard you don't have to like Picard That's, you could either enjoy it or not enjoy it or love it or hate it it doesn't matter I don't I don't personally it's everybody's tastes are their tastes. Right. But the idea that this would be the same is unrealistic. And well, and I wasn't expecting it to be the well, same. No, but, but the thing but, is, is that it's also a Star Trek thing we've already seen. Star Trek uh, six. Hmm. Star Trek six is all about the crew of the, the Enterprise recognizing their aging and their mortality. Right. And there's a great moment that James T. Kirk has. He's the hero. He's the guy. We we you know these these. It's a cast full of heroes, but James T. Kirk is the one that we. Have. And there's that moment where he is such an awful person, where they're going to meet the Klingons, and they're going into this thing, and he he expresses something. You know, he, he's, he you know, um, Spock tells him that the Klingons are going to die if they don't get help, and Kirk whips around him and goes and basic almost screams, "Let them die." And it's such a human moment. And it, it's, a, it's a moment that actually makes you realize that James Kirk, for all the fact that we knew he was not super heroic, he has a bad tendency to go on way too many dates. Um, and he's probably got, there's a, probably a whole bunch of Jim Kirk's, there's the Star, Star Trek spinoff series right there. Yeah, right. The children of, the children of, the uh, children of Kirk. The children of Kirk. Um, but it's a moment where you realize, and especially there, because he's at, he's at the latter, he's at the part of his life where, um, you know his career. His career is not is not over. The film doesn't end with their careers being over. Right. It's just they're recogn they're recognizing that they're, you know, they're not young anymore, and that's okay. Um, well, a, you get those themes all the way back to Star Trek too. Sure, but this is one of those. This is you know this is that moment where you actually see that Kirk is well, not not the only one, but it's one of the bigger moments where you see that Kirk is not just the paragon of Star Trek, of Starfleet. He's a man who's got carrying around a lot of pain, and some of that pain turns in, you know, he la he's lashing out. He's lashing out in anger. Yeah, um, It's a great moment, I think. But, so you have a character, and we, 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 we will move away from Picard here in a second, because we have other stuff to talk about. Um, I haven't even touched some of the stuff I got for you. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I... I I enjoyed parts of it. I, I didn't enjoy parts of it. I'm like, I'll, I'll watch the second season. Um, I uh, my my 
best, my favorite parts of it um, were actually some of the secondary characters. So, no. Um, but you know, hey, it's a uh, people playing it. People playing in the in the Star Trek sandbox. I'm all in favor of it. I, I've read too many novelizations over the years of varying qualities to get too. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just don't think that Kurtzman is the right one to do it. Uh, I've never been, I've never been that impressed with any of Alex Kurtzman's oh, work. Maybe and not. Just, um, I'm, I'm pleased that, that uh, you know, some of the, some of the production crew, I think, is pretty good at. It. Uh, Shaban is pretty cool. But um, all right, so let's move away from that, and because there's some films I want to recommend. Right. If you want to, if you want to binge some horror films, um, there are some classics. I already mentioned the Universal stuff. Uh, but if you want to get into some of the really the best stuff out there, and some of this stuff you can find on Netflix, some of it you can find on Amazon Prime. Um, personally, I'm a big M. I have Amazon Prime, so quite frankly, um, I rec- you know, I'm a big fan of such things. But <laughs> so this stuff is on Netflix, and it's all around. You just you know you can you can find a lot of this through this stuff right now. There's some TV shows if you want to binge TV shows. Um, Penny Dreadful. The original, the original series, the new series is coming out. It's still coming out on schedule as far as the current plan is. Um, and it is Victorian horror. It's, it's like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for the horror set. Um, and it is wickedly funny and very, very dark and very gory. Be, be aware. Mm. But it's got one of the best versions of Frankenstein's monster, um, I think, in a long, long time. Um, and some fascinating explorations of some of the the nature of good and evil and the choices that we make and the consequences. Um, there's a German series called Dark. Um, again, you have to deal with subtitles, but suffer through them, folks. It's really good. It's a science fiction, primarily a science fiction series, uh, but it has a lot of horror elements, and it is, I think they're on their second season now, no. or they just finished their second season, um, and it is wickedly, it's it's twisty, okay? You gotta think of, this is what you gotta think about. It's a show you gotta think about, which I think is really, really a lot of fun. Um, Lucifer is out, uh, and since we're getting, uh, we're, looks like you know, we're gonna get more Lucifer, catch up. If you haven't watched it, um, you can go back and find my review on the website for Lucifer. And you you can hear my uncertainty about it because I, I'm a big fan of the character from the comics. It's you know, the DC Comics version of Lucifer, I'm sorry, the Vertigo version yeah. of Lucifer. Uh, spun out of, spun out of uh, the Hellraiser series, uh, Hellblazer series and, and uh, um, the Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman series, that, that version of Lucifer. Can you He's imagine the- John Constantine going up against Pinhead? It has been <laughs> suggested and somewhat explored in other ways. That's a, that's a conversation we could have. Uh, there's a, there's some few things there. Um, definitely, I mean this that's uh, definitely catch up on Lucifer because it's funny. It's mm. a very funny show and it's a very sexy show, but there's some really cool story happening on that too. Um, American Horror Story got renewed. Um, of course, we got what three years out of, of stories. I am. I have mixed feelings about American Horror Story. Have we have we done three? I thought we did. Have, have we done more? I thought we had done more than three seasons of that. No, no. I mean three three new seasons. <laughs> oh, that we're getting. Yes, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's because um, there. I think there's a season. We're coming back for what season ten. Um, 
but that's just it. You've got all these like great, you know, you you have a you have season long arcs that you can pick and choose from. Yeah. If they interest you, that's you know an entire season's worth of content you can binge, and um, but I think it's um, your mileage may vary. There have been seasons I'm like I just don't care. I'm not watching this. Mm. And some seasons like ooh, what's this? Um, Ash versus the Evil Dead. If you didn't watch it, you're the reason it got canceled. You should be ashamed of yourself. No, it's not true. Um, it's TV shows. It, it happens all the time. So, but you've got the chance to see Ash versus the Evil Dead. You should do it. Um, because that's just a lot of fun. Um, and then on the movie side of things, folks, this is the time to watch Annihilation. If you didn't see it in the theaters, and most people didn't, well, that's the one uh, with uh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, and it's based on the novel, uh, the series, uh, the Southern Reach series, uh, and. It is an odd film because it's it's the it's based on the first book in a series, but the director had no intention of making any more. He just wanted to make one contained story. So it's very it's different than the book, mm-hmm. um, but it's a gorgeous movie and it's really eerie. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's scary, yeah. but it's certainly disturbing. It's a fantastic cast. And it's another it's another film that requires you to think. It's a mixture of science fiction and horror. Um, and I definitely recommend it. Um, and then if you have not watched The Expanse, watch The Expanse. <laughs> it's the best hard science fiction show on television. No. Um, and they're, yeah. in fact, um, hard science fiction shows on television. There aren't that many. Yeah, and it's... The, the book series, this is also something else that you could you could pick up. Pick up the um, the Corey book series, which is actually two two writers actually working under a pen name. And um, they're in book nine, I think, right now. The TV show is up to book four, I okay. think. Um, this new season was... No, I think they're book five. This new season, new season, I think, was book five. Amazon is putting it out now. Um, and it is available. The whole run is available on Amazon. Uh, yeah, Amazon the first, Prime. first, what three seasons were on Sci-Fi, and they, can, right. they canceled it. Yeah, um, and uh, Jeff Bezos turns out to be a huge, huge fan, and he snatched it up, and then gave them more money to play with. Um, which is a which is a rare example of of a large corporation doing a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but it's great. It's great storytelling. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, cast and crew. Another hard science fiction um, in books, uh, military science fiction, is the Honor Harrington series from David sure. Weber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk about shared universe and other authors getting to play in the sandbox. Uh, he's worked with Eric Flint. He's worked with a couple of others. Um, I want to say John Ringo has written some stuff in that in that group. I believe um, so. And then there were some different people who got to contribute some short stories to anthologies. Um, and, and another series that I'm hoping never gets adapted to TV or film because the too many cooks in the kitchen thing I think is going to, to happen with this one would be the Dragon Riders of Pern. I know Warner Brothers has been stewing about it. They're, there's, they're supposed to be working on something. I hope it never happens. I hope that one just stays in development hell for you know from now to the heat death of the universe because 
they will not get it right. Nobody will get it right. That's just like the live-action Akira that we keep hearing about. Don't do it. Not not an American studio. Uh, a Japanese studio. Give me a, give me a, a Japanese studio that that is going to treat the source material the right way. Then if it was the studio that gave us the live-action uh, space battleship Yamato, maybe. 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 Um, um, yeah. I, I gotta say, uh, if if you're if you're going to to go that route, that movie, when the ship comes up out of the ground, it is a fantastic sequence, and I thought this looks exactly like the anime. <laughs> this is so cool. As as it was meant to. As the, it was meant to. The only quibble that I have about that thing is the last the last 15 minutes it 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 the momentum just dies at the last bit of it and i thought oh why are you doing this i know why you're doing it and i get well, it I, it's a, you know it's a japanese film their sensibilities are different the filmmaking style is different and whatnot but i thought oh you're killing me here smalls because we just <laughs> suddenly we just stop yeah but other than that, it's a fantastic film. It's a great adaptation of the of of the anime. So, now you mentioned you mentioned uh, uh, seeing um, John Constantine come up against uh, uh, Pinhead. If you if you want a darker, grittier, more close to the Vertigo series uh, version of the uh, the Constantine type character mm. uh, than you are getting from say the somewhat more lighthearted and and uh, <laughs> sillier version on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Mike Carey, British author, um, who actually has written John Constantine before, uh, has a book series called the Felix Castor series. I think there's five books in this series, and Felix Castor is John with the serial numbers. Uh, filed off, sure. And it's the same kind of storytelling. It's the same kind of, um, oh, you're not exactly a great person to stand nearby when bad things happen because you'll live, but I might not. Yeah. Um, and they're actually quite good, and I really enjoyed them a lot. Um, there's a really, there's a lot of great British urban fantasy happening right now. Ben Aronovich has got a great series out. Um, Kim Newman. Ben Aronovich, for those of you who don't know, was one of the architects of the Cartmill Master Plan. Yes, and his Rivers of London series is brilliant. I highly recommend it. Uh Um, And it is, there's, I think, six or seven or eight books in the series now, so you can definitely start. Even if you're a fast reader, you've got uh, some some definite... uh, time ahead of you indulging in this world and it's a mixture of uh modern very very modern storytelling and sort of a the very british kind of 18th century structure it's it's hard to describe but it's it's really really good and if you do the audiobook version um the vocal performances are fantastic Speaking of uh, Star Trek, Thomas in the chat says he found Picard enjoyable better than Discovery. Um, I still have not seen any any of Discovery past the first episode, 
But um, if you want to talk Star Trek books for a second, I can make some recommendations. Anything by Peter David. Oh, no kidding. Kewen Law is hilarious. It is super funny. Very smart. Uh, very smart humor in that. Uh, Imzadi. Uh, the Rift. The Rift is good because it is set in Pike's time period. Um, and and Kirk's time period. It's a it's a two part storyline there. Um, the Khan duology by Greg Cox. You know the rise and fall of Khan Nunu and Singh. Uh, and he says there are three books. And and I think there are three books. I seem to recall re- See, I only remember reading two, but there are three books in the series. And I don't know why I keep forgetting there's a third book in that. Hmm. Um, but that one's good. Um, anything by Diane Duane. Anything by Diane Duane. Anything by Diane Carey. Or John Ford. John M. Ford. John M. Ford. Um, how, much, how much for just the planet? See, I didn't the, like that book. I loved it because it's, it is a full-on Star Trek comedy. And it is musical every, comedy. Musical comedy. And everybody is perfectly in character. I see. I, I just... just I laughed. It's the it's the only Star Trek novel I've ever sat there and had to put down because I was laughing so hard. I may have to go back and read it again. I, I the when I when I read it the first time, I just well, and it's the polar opposite of the final reflection. Yeah, and I think see, and and maybe that's maybe that's what I ran into because I had already read the final reflection, and oh, this is by John M. Ford. It'll be just as good as the final reflection and it was completely different and the the final reflection is the best alternate history klingon novel yeah (laughs) because it was completely ditched uh no no the 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 paramount did not use it in any way shape or form although Um, although the concept of honor from well, that book, I think, kind of seeped into some of the rest of the stuff later. And some of that stuff has shown up in Discovery in, like, occasional throwaway lines. People have made references to it. Yeah. Um, but it's been – it's the kind of thing where it's like we can do this in a line of dialogue and and reference it without getting into, you know, hey, guys, we want to rewrite Klingon history because we like John M. Ford's uh, version yeah. better. Um, but they definitely they do definitely do some tribute to it in the second season. Yeah. Um, but it's a kind of it, it's it's an Easter egg thing for for fans of Final Reflection is what it is. I uh, am currently going through the X Wing series of paperbacks in the Star Wars books. In between reading books in our review pile because we have a few of those as well, and I'm behind on getting my reviews written for the ones that I've already read. Um, But, yeah, the X-Wing series there, the Thrawn trilogy, the two Han Solo trilogies, the one Mm -hmm. from Brian Daly and the one from Ann Crispin. It's funny because uh, Mindy and I were talking the other day. She was asking me about Daly's books and where where they take place in the timeline, in the Star Wars timeline. And then she was asked, well, well, what about the other the other books, the, you know, the other Han Solo trilogy books? And the, 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 the beauty of Anne Crispin's books in the Han Solo trilogy is that it doesn't – that set of stories doesn't negate daily stories. Right. Mm-hmm. She drops daily stuff 
right in the middle of I want to say the second book and into the third book Mm. because I I want it it could all be in the second book I got to go back and and look at it again it's been a while since I've read them but she takes the story to the point where Han Solo goes to the corporate sector she gives him a reason to go there and we go into daily stuff and Every now and again, we get these interstitials, these little scenes with with Han Solo out there after each one of Daly's books while we're back here with Bria Theron and some of the other characters. And it's really well done how she incorporates what Daly did and uses that to inform where Han Solo is when he comes back into her books. So I, you got you those those two those two trilogies I think are really really good, really well done. Um, if you want a there's a guy named Jonathan Howard, um, Jonathan L Howard, and he has got um, he has got two series actually that I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is um well he's got a lovecraft series it's called uh lovecraft and i think it's uh lovecraft and carter lovecraft and howard um hang on here let me make sure i've got the, the was right it, wasn't there a what was the series mm-hmm. they were going to do a series with carter and lovecraft that's what the novel is called carter and lovecraft but the one wasn't there one weren't they going to do a series where the two characters were um Houdini and Arthur Conan Doyle? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was uh, That's well, a, they, based on a series of books, wasn't it? Um I think so. And there was also there was a, there was a British series that actually ran, I think, for or maybe it was Canadian that actually ran for like a season. Did they actually do because I can't it's, remember it, I can't it, remember it, that it, series ever one, coming out. There's one talk been one talking about recently, um, I think, that didn't go to that that didn't get produced. Okay. They were that, talking about it didn't happen. And that may be the one that I'm thinking. There was about. one several years ago, I think, that involved that. Uh, Carter and Lovecraft is basically uh, the first book is Carter and Lovecraft, the second book is After the End of the World, which gives you an idea where things are going. <laughs> um, and it's um, it's the story of a detective named Carter who finds himself meeting a woman named Lovecraft and they discover that the Cthulhu mythos is real mm. and things go sideways from there. Um, it's, there's, the second book came out three years ago, two years ago. Um, and so it's been sort of a cliffhanger. Now, if you want a series that he's done, which is very, very entertaining. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this on, on H2O before. Um, the Johannes Cabal, the Necromancer series. Yes. There's five books in this series and it is really funny. It's an alternate, it's an, it's a parallel timeline kind of where dirigibles are still real and, and sorcery still happens and, and all these things. And, um, Johannes Cabal is the, one of the most entertaining anti-heroes you will find in literature right now and he is he he does not suffer fools gladly and yet sounds himself surrounded by fools 
and he's very snarky and sarcastic. And his brother is a vampire, accidentally. Sure. Um, is uh, he? He may or may not be in love with the daughter of the detective who wants to, you know, have him killed. Um, uh, it's really, really clever. Oh, and Narl, his his uh, Narlawathotep is his personal nemesis. Um, <laughs> of course, he is. And so there's a lot of humor running through it. Um, there's a lot of you. It's definitely a mindset kind of book. If you don't, it's very, very much a British humor kind of thing. Uh, although, although Howard is not a Brit, is not British. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's there. There's so much fun. Wouldn't uh, Wouldn't it be fun if John Carter had a sister named Peggy? Well, timeline was time, John would have been because John Carter was Civil War. So well, it was that's the, true. So let's see. Niece? He had a great granddaughter, Grand, or granddaughter, no. granddaughter, great granddaughter, or grandniece, grandniece to try and keep it a little more, you know, um, sure. uh, more in line with say the Wold Newton model. <laughs> and folks, if you want, if you want to spend some time on the internet in the middle of all this, oh type yes, in, type in Wold Newton oh. and. W L W O L D N E W T O N and follow yeah. the rabbit hole down. You won't you won't come up for a couple of weeks. It's great. Oh, uh, it's for those of you who don't know, basically it was it's also a shared universe concept by it's basically it's basically an incredible fan fiction world mm-hmm. where the basic premise was and it was uh farmer, wasn't it? Yeah, was it Philip Philip Jose Farmer. Sure. Um, came up with the idea um, that uh, Tarzan was connected by bl- by blood to this group family, and then this family was connected to this family, and they were all uh, exposed to a meteor when way back when, and developed these sort of abilities that turned into the. Everything that happens in like superheroes and you know, w- w- well, in many ways, it was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on a completely different tangent. Well, not only on a completely different tangent, but the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on steroids. I oh, mean, yeah. it's it's it goes- everything. James Bond and James Kirk and. Tarzan well, and and every Doctor, place is in between. Doctor Who, Superman, Batman, um, Doc Savage, Doc Savage, uh, the Federation in the future. Is the uh, Scarlet is the Scarlet Pimpernel in there anywhere? Of course, Have the you Scarlet Pimpernel oh, okay. is in there it, um, because it all connects. It's all it's yeah. these are all and and the, these people are all distantly related to each other in a way, and so it's really it's so. It's so twisty and weird, and yeah. just and it's a deep dive. Oh yeah, and if you, it's it's basically like the ultimate game of else else worlds or what if. Yeah. Because if you want tangent universes, you know these are characters where you know, Batman Batman debuted in you know was a, a twenty year old man twenty in his twenties in the nineteen twenties, so he's long dead in the eighties. You know, but Batman three, uh, you know, it's it's all the it's it's such a cool little uh, thought experiment writ large. Yeah. Um, if you if you ever if you enjoyed 
you know, DC's Elseworlds or their, any of their multiverse stories or any of the, the alternate universe stuff that Marvel has done with What If and the other stuff, this is that on steroids. Well, I tell it's you, so much fun. The, the Batman Elseworlds, I mean, it's not an Elseworlds officially, but uh, this new Gotham High graphic novel that's about to come out that just got announced, uh-huh. uh, it's getting roasted on on the internet uh, yes i've seen that and i have to say what a bunch of stupid arguments people have against this well, i'm sorry it is so dumb i'm seeing i'm it's seeing it so I can, dumb i can understand their points of view i don't no, particularly they have their, their point well, of view is stupid we need to, we need to when, when points of view are dumb we should just call well, them dumb it's the, a the dumb thing point is of view. a lot of these a lot of these people are young I'm not going to excuse it, but I understand it. And if you look at Gotham High as an Elseworld story, I think it's a lot easier to accept, even, even though even, it looks like a dumb story. Well, it, yeah, I know, don't. I mean, it's it's. it's I mean, that's a completely why, thing, that whole YA. You yeah, know, and, it's, and, it's Gotham you know, City 90210. We're, and we're not the dumb. target. We're. We're too old to be that target audience. <laughs> Let's face true. it. I mean, true. I mean, even and, and even even if we enjoy it, it's one of those things where we're still not the target audience. We're yeah. not the folks they're running for. But the thing is, is one of the dumbest arguments I've seen so far is that, um, you know, it somehow takes away anything away from Thomas Wayne being a successful surgeon, or the fact that that Martha Wayne in continuity. For years, several years ago, I, want, I can't remember if it was New Fifty Two or not. It might have been before or after. Her, she brought money into the relationship already. So this well, is not well. A they new both thing. did. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not a new thing. Yeah, because she was. She was. Uh, she was a cane. Yeah. So it's like this. There's a, and that's that's not even getting into the dumb argument of Batman is part. You know, oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> why? Okay. Yeah. So again. You know, I, I realize that that I look. Everybody is allowed to have their opinion. Everyone is allowed to have their viewpoint. I'm sorry. This is one of the dumbest arguments I've heard in a while that people are making, and ignoring the fact that it's an Elseworld story. Yeah, it, it doesn't have the brand. Just well, you know and what? I think maybe that's part of the fact. That I, I, that could be part of the reason why people are, are irritated with it is because it's not branded as an Elseworld. But story. you know what? Here's the other thing: is that not every comic book or book or TV show or movie is for you. No. And I'm used. No, I mean you. I mean I, I mean you as yeah, you generic, know, the, yes, generic you. Because there's plenty. There's plenty of great stuff out there that, quite frankly not my type of cup of tea and i hope everybody else enjoys it immensely because i'm just like it just doesn't work for me and you know what i don't do about it <laughs> well and that's one of the one of the things that we've talked about here on the show is is the fact that we are not going to be outrage media we're not going to be the outrage youtube channel like a lot of these people are because it's not sustainable you can't keep it up for Ever. I mean, you can keep it up for a year, a two, three, five, but eventually it gets old. Eventually it gets tired, and you got to have something else to, to do. Well, not only that, not only that, but the recognition that the thing is, is that there is so much great genre stuff out there, whether it's science fiction, fantasy, or horror, comic books, novels, TV, or movies, yeah. whatever the medium you're getting it in, that there is something out there for you. 
and you should explore it. You, there's there's so much stuff that you have not seen or watched or listened to mm-hmm. because there's so much of it. Yeah. And this, as as difficult as a situation like that we're in now is and how, you know, legitimate concerns we have for health and safety and all these important things, this is an opportunity for you to explore the larger world. If you're a Batman fan and you've never read anything but DC, then you need to pick up something from Marvel. Support your local comic book store if they're open right now. This absolutely, is absolutely. Um, if you have to order it, then order it, whatever. But, you know, explore the other guys. Explore IDW or Dynamite or Image. <clears throat> if you if you are reading science fiction novels, but you liked the Game of Thrones TV show, pick up a fantasy novel. You know, find a way to explore and learn the, you know, if you've never seen Penny Dreadful or The Expanse or... Hannibal or Orville or some of these shows that you just never watched, you know, this is a time to do that. There's shows are out there that you can see quantity of this stuff and get a full experience of it. And, um, and you've got, if you're, if you're there with your friend, you're, you're, you're stuck in place with your significant other or your kids and maybe your kids are old enough. Like you and I have, you know, my daughter's older than your son, but the you know we have kids who are of an age that we could watch some of this stuff with them, some right. of the more adult theme, more grown up theme stuff, but there's stuff for kids out there too for in genre. So this is an opportunity to to expand your horizons. The animated X Men is on Disney Plus. There you go. Gargoyles is on Disney Plus. There you go. Um, and the other thing too is um, uh, you can binge our show. You could. You could watch several of our shows, and you could go back on. Uh, you could go back on H two O here on 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 video, uh, but this is our two hundred and eighteenth episode. So there are before we flipped the switch and just went video. You can you know you can go to sci fi for me dot com. You can find an archive of our earlier shows, um, but then also there's Apocalypse Now. Which is out there, and I just found today that we are on a website called Podchaser. Uh, it's a directory, apparently, of all the podcasting things, and um, it, I, if I'm looking at it right, it goes back. Uh, the archive on that one, apparently, on our show, goes back to in the mid '90s episodes. Oh, nice. Uh, and number, not the year. Uh, we haven't we haven't been on that long. Around but, that long, yeah. Uh, episode ninety four, I think, is the earliest one that they've got over there. But uh, but yeah, if you go to podchaser dot com, you look up H two O podcast, you'll find us over there as well. Uh, in addition to Apple Podcast and iHeartRadio and and some of the other players, but uh, but yeah, you could binge you can binge our show, especially if you're new. We we uh, we appreciate everybody who is here. We've got new subscribers that are joining uh, on average a daily basis, and you know our numbers continue to steadily grow. And if you like what you see and and hear here. Uh, if you want to give us a thumbs up, we'd very much appreciate that. Um, it does help with the discoverability of the show. Um, and feel free to share. If you want to share the links to our to our videos, share the links to our channel. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Comics by Perch. He, uh, he posted a link to our channel over the weekend. Uh, and he's got a very good 
uh, a very good channel where he uh, does some analysis of the comics industry and uh, I think uh, I think he's got some good stuff over there as does Thinking Critical uh, with Wes because they Wes Wes at Thinking Critical is how I found comics with Perch and they're both they both have some very interesting insights into what's going on in the comics industry right now uh, so uh, I would recommend those uh, for you to listen to in addition to all of our stuff of course uh, and we have material dating back years lots of interviews at different comic cons and um, our shows and all sorts of stuff and and we will continue to make new stuff that you can right. watch so so make sure you have your notifications on so you know when we upload the next the next thing um we have right now currently eight, between eight and ten shows that are in production on a regular basis and we're doing daily updates on the changes to the comic-con schedule um already i'm seeing some emails with some stuff that we'll have on our list tomorrow so it just continues uh, to go on and on and on. At one, at at some point, things will get back to normal. They will, maybe, or at least, or at least we will adjust to a new normal because that's the way of things. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you very much for watching. If you're listening on uh, the uh, the audio side of things, thank you for listening. And uh, we will be back with another discussion with some digressions next week here on the Suo Podcast. Good night, everyone. Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.